I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know, it's got a really awesome stag logo. What, what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to DraftKings Network. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. I'm Jesse Gofield. We have breaking news from Adam Schefter. Deshaun Watson is going to be undergoing a season-ending surgery on a broken bone in his throwing shoulder. You can see here that we have a statement from the Browns. So he underwent an MRI Monday, two injuries sustained on different plays in the first half of that game over the Ravens. Imaging on his left ankle revealed a high ankle sprain. Now, in addition, Deshaun notified the medical staff of a new discomfort in his right shoulder. So that MRI revealed a displaced fracture to the glenoid. I think I'm saying that right. So basically, despite performing at a high level, finishing the game after consultation, it's been determined that this injury is going to require immediate surgical repair to avoid further structural damage. So Deshaun Watson being placed on season-ending IR, full recovery expected for the start of the 2024 season. Wow. I mean, a lot to take in here. That is some breaking news. Uh, yeah, huge news uh, coming off this weekend. And 
What better time as we've got a full hockey line change going on here on Gojo and Golik. Charlotte Wilder joins us for the first hour. My father, Mike Golik Sr., has to leave uh, for an appointment in the second hour, which means our good buddy, you can check him out over at Yahoo Sports, doing great college and NFL work, as well as on Fox Sports Radio on the weekends. Jason Fitz back with us now, and we are fully set to talk about a bunch of college football playoff ranking reactions, which we'll get to. You and I did a Twitter Spaces on that last night, but Fitz, initial reaction to this news, Deshaun Watson, who has been bad and beat up for a lot of this season, but on a Browns team that still has all of their hopes and dreams or did right in front of them, coming off one of the biggest wins of their season, now gets this news about their quarterback. What does it mean? All right, so let's take two sides of it. Number one, you've got the side of it from the Browns. Organizationally this year, they've played pretty well without him, right? Uh, P.J. Walker has played well. So I don't think for the Browns, this is the end of the world. Look at the way this team is built to win. This this team has a great defense, runs the hell out of the ball. They've got a couple of weapons that I think in Amari Cooper, somebody like that, that can still help protect their quarterback. So I, I don't think when it comes to the result on the field, Maybe it prevents them from being in the Super Bowl conversation. We can, we can maybe go there. But I don't think that suddenly means like most teams, you lose your starting quarterback and your, your season is going to be a disaster. The other side of it, though, is like every time something like this happens, we are going to say the same thing. You gave fully guaranteed money to somebody that missed a lot of time for obvious reasons, that didn't play particularly well for much of his time back and is now hurt. Like this is why fully guaranteed one of the – Many reasons why fully guaranteed contracts are just not going to become the norm for quarterbacks in the NFL. So you're absolutely right. The The long-term existential crisis for Cleveland has to be pretty dramatic, I'd say, right now. i got to imagine Brown's sports talk radio this morning is full of takes because you're right. Even after Deshaun came back last year, people were able to say, all right, well, he hasn't played in a season and a half, so there were always going to be things about his game that were going to take a while to adjust back if it was ever going to get back to that level and over the course of the season between multiple injuries and just flat out substandard play for a lot of the seasons where Fitz I would say one of the only redeeming qualities of Josh Allen's game this year had really been his ability to at times break tackles in the pocket and use his legs to affect the outcome of games Besides that, there really hadn't been a lot consistently to hang their hat on on a team that, as we knew going into the season, had a Super Bowl roster around him, but you are tied to him going forward. And so, I guess for everybody involved, ensuring that you give yourself the best chance at a healthy version of Deshaun next year was probably the most important thing, but it's still hard to not feel pretty doom and gloom about the fact that you're now tied to a quarterback that just may not be that good and now is going to be walking into the next season even more prone to injury than he might have already been because past injury is usually a pretty good predictor. There is a point, and look, I know people get I know people are fed up with constantly having the same conversations about Deshaun, but I do want to rewind and go back to the moment he signed with the Browns. There was a question that at the time we were all at ESPN, right? There was a question I asked repeatedly, what level of winning would make this worth it? And, and I, by this, I mean the contract and everything that came with the person that you were signing off the field, the, the, the conversation that happened there, the embarrassment so many Browns fans felt in that moment that Deshaun was their quarterback. Like, what level of winning? And when I threw that out to the audience, the answer I got is, doesn't matter because we're going to win the Super Bowl. Or, it doesn't matter as long as we get to the AFC Championship game. It's like, we understand. Look, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying we understand society. Like, society's willing to say, I will forgive all of these oh. things. Just bring me and the trophies. 
I was going to say, and sports society in particular, where for so many people, guilt or innocence is determined by what you do on the court or on the field after that, despite all of the allegations, despite the things about Deshaun Watson's conduct off the field that the NFL says in their investigation were true, true enough to suspend him for the 11 games there. All of that, you're right, embarrassment in most sports fans' minds and the places they don't talk about at parties, they were going to go and look the other way on if it meant their team did better. And now that we've arrived at that point, I do wonder if that feeling of, hey, we sold our soul for this, now all of a sudden starts to feel a little bit more craven. No, no, it, it, this feels hicky. Like, there's no nice professional word for this, Mike. Like, I, I, I am where I am, and you know this. I think most people listening know this. Like, my fandom is the root of why I am in this business. And I know the feeling right now as a fan when you got to look in the mirror and be like, yeah, none of this was worth it. I have had to defend this signing over and over and over again. And you just you just get defeated, right? Like, I mean, there's just so many layers to this Deshaun thing that's more complicated than just the quarterback. And it's the, all of the emotion that goes into it. I will say, though, I do think there was always going to be a section of Browns fans that understood, hey, I, I don't like morally the way it makes me feel to have a quarterback with this much you know, sexual impropriety and the sexual assault allegations tied to his name, the civil suits that hung over this for so long. There were going to, I think, always be a section of Browns fans that looked at this and said, I do not like the fact that my team is doing this, but I like my team. And so while some people stopped rooting for the Browns altogether, there was always going to be a group of fans that stayed and said, I I've loved this team for so long. I might not like this, and I'm not going to go out of my way to celebrate Deshaun Watson, but I want my team to still succeed. Then there's going to be the other group of fans that didn't care, were defiant, were people that stood up and made X number of defenses for Deshaun Watson that I think were always showing their ass that aren't going to feel any different today other than the fact that now they think this guy is overpaid and might swing wildly. So we're always talking about different groups at once with that and trying to legislate in retrospect there but I think now fits from the immediacy of this from the football side of this in this year here and now Kevin Seifert over at ESPN tweeted something that I think is very interesting in terms of what does this mean for the Brown season here and now because we have seen this year the NFL's full of quarterback carnage we spent so much time spinning our tires on the New York Jets and what they did and didn't do and as Kevin Seifert points out now is a good time to recall that Josh Dobbs spent training camp this year with the Browns and was training to the Cardinals in a swap of picks at the end of August. I, as much as anybody, was drunk on DTR hype coming off the preseason. I was psyched that they gave him the opportunity, but now what we've seen from the limited action with DTR and the extended action of Josh Dobbs being thrown into adverse situations, this is another thing where I said yesterday if the, if the New York Jets had gone out and gotten Josh Dobbs at the trade deadline the way the Minnesota Vikings did, that's a playoff team. Conversely, I think we would look back and say, Hey, man, remember what Jacoby Brissett was doing last year and what Josh Dobbs is doing now? If you have either of those guys on the roster, you are probably a playoff team with this particular defense in this particular season. I had forgotten Dobbs being there this summer. Like, that's just it's out of mind, right? Like, that. you're absolutely right. I've spent the whole year using early March as the test for the Jets because I like to remind the entire world that Gardner Minshew signed with the Colts in March, right? So and for, I think it was $3 million a year, like a low backup price for Gardner Minshew at the time. So I've used all year the Gardner Minshew test of, hey, if your backup's not better than Gardner, then your team didn't do a good enough job in March figuring out their quarterback position. We'll add Josh Dobbs to that. But the fact that he was in the building in Cleveland and now – you know, they are where they are is, is really an interesting phenomenon for, for the Browns. But 
Again, I want to stress the Browns' defense is so good, so good. Their running game is so good. The Browns are still going to win a bunch of football games. Like, I don't think the Browns are about to be winless and suddenly picking in the, the top 12 of the draft. I, the Browns are still a playoff team to me with this defense, with these weapons, and with whoever the hell was playing quarterback. Because it's not like they were getting great quarterback play from Deshaun when they had him. They were winning despite him, not because of it. No, and that's true. I would say the second half of the game this weekend against the Ravens that they won was probably the best ball they had gotten out of Deshaun Watson. Yeah. But you're right in that even with it just being Jalen Ford in the backfield and not Nick Chubb because of the injury, even with the injuries in the offensive line, you still saw them able to go and impact the game in that way. The defense, especially with Miles Garrett, who's having a defensive player of the year kind of season and has for a while now, you're right, is still going to have them firmly in the mix but it just once again feels like the air kind of got let out of the balloon on a team that was supposed to be maybe more than that in a division in the AFC North that is looked like exactly what we predicted in the preseason after a couple of early rounds there. So uh, worth pointing out that the Browns, because it's after the trade deadline, cannot make any sort of move to trade for a quarterback. They could sign a free agent off the street, so we'll see if there's anything that comes with that. Or if it is the P.J. Walker show, Jason, who is a guy who's bounced around a bunch at this point in his NFL career and has played football for the Browns already. Yeah, by the way, I think he's played well enough throughout the course of this year to get a tip of the cap. And also the fact that you just mentioned him and didn't mention him as XFL star speaks to the fact that he's submitted. Like, we, we saw P.J. Walker play really well in the XFL. And it feels like in every other spring league, like he's a spring league guy that has now come in and cemented himself as a fall league guy, as a backup. I, I, I hope he goes out and absolutely tears. Like, in a beautiful world, he tears it up and is a delight and is not the reason the Browns missed the playoffs. This feels a little bit like 2017 anecdotally, doesn't it, Fitz? You remember that year where we were so inundated with backup quarterbacks and starting mm -hmm. roles, and we get to that postseason run that's got a Final Four where the Eagles eventually go on and win with a Nick Foles-led team after the injury to Carson Wentz, and there's all this discourse about how, well, do you really even need an all-time great quarterback at the position to go out there and do really well? It wasn't the case then. I don't think it's the case now. But I think the NFL is in a really interesting spot this year where defense has been the story almost wire to wire this season. We've spent a lot of time talking about all the different things between scheme. You know, I saw on the other day the NFL Live crew did a great breakdown on the Ravens and how awesome their scheme is this year under Mike McDonald and how different the Browns defense was in the matchup this weekend. And you've got the Eagles defense that got a makeover this year. And the Chiefs defense is playing probably the best that we've seen in the Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. Holmes era and so with that as the backdrop fits I will say based on how well defenses are playing the great personnel that have popped up over on that side of the ball and all the injuries to quarterback it does feel like a year where if you're not one of the teams with Patrick Mahomes on it you might have a little bit better shot than most just because of how the ball has looked so far this season there's one other thing that happened that year though that, that as we got to the playoffs that we forget that was the year that suddenly the playoff ratings just absolutely collapsed. And I remember at the time when we were talking on the morning show stuff and it was like, hey, what, what is there a problem? Is the NFL dying? And there was all these big highbrow conversations about the ratings problems of the NFL. And I, I think it was your dad at the time that pointed out, well, maybe it's because nobody knows any of these quarterbacks. We ended up with a playoffs where nobody cared about most of the quarterbacks. It'll be interesting to see this year because you're right. I think weird quarterbacks are carrying teams farther. What's that going to mean? Like, I'm just telling everybody now, 
to have a little bit of patience when we hear the, well, nobody watched this wild card game. If that wild card game turns out to be, let's just put it into the ethos. If it turns out to be PJ Walker versus Aiden O'Connell, right? Like that's just not what most people are looking for for their wild card matchups. Yes, everybody else knows. Yeah, no, but you're right, Fits in that so much of the top, and listen, it's all relative. The NFL is still going to be like 98 of the top 100 broadcasts for the year. It's relative to their own ungodly standard, but you're right. This year, last weekend, we already had the record broken when Tommy DeVito went out and started, I believe, for the Giants. He was the 10th different rookie quarterback to start for an NFL team this season, which was a record, and we're in an interesting point now, Fitz, where in the last couple of years, we were coasting on this high of, oh man, the league's in such good hands right now. You got all these great young quarterbacks that had popped off in the last few years, really coming off that 2021 draft class. Them as a poster of, well, nobody from that's really been all of that good. You've got, you know, going division by division. Buffalo's dealing with some growing pains around Josh Allen right now and his second contract and what that team's going to be. The Jets, tire fire right now with the Aaron Rodgers injury the Patriots tire fire right now the Steelers Kenny Pickett outside of the fourth quarter has been underwhelming the Browns tire fire the Jacksonville Jaguars I feel like people are starting to ask questions about what the plateau is here with Trevor Lawrence recently the Indianapolis Colts injured incomplete at this point the Titans rookie quarterback incomplete at this point the Raiders Aiden O'Connell at this point the Denver Broncos Broncos country TBD at this point you go in the NFC that's the conference that didn't even come into this season with the war chest that we thought the AFC had at quarterback and so we're at a very interesting spot right now Fitz because while we've got Mahomes who has taken up that mantle for the next great guy when we left the Manning and Brady era we immediately gave way to Patrick Mahomes and what he's doing for the sport Joe Burrow's right in that mix too you've got Lamar Jackson up there at the top here Jalen Hurts in Philadelphia but outside of that I think we're seeing and getting reminded of just how difficult it is to find the the next guy right now and how quickly that hope of oh we've got one of the new young hot prospects and how quickly that can turn to nothing that's why mike if i hike up to the top of a mountain i'm gonna carry one flag and i'm gonna plant this flag coming into draft season and it's if not this then that and this is very simple for me if the answer for your favorite team is not caleb williams or drake may if it's not either of those names now i will say if you are picking first or second I don't care if you offer me the next decade's draft. I am not going to move out of the first or second pick because I want Caleb Williams or Drake May. I don't care what you offer me. So all these teams that have a treasure chest that think they're going to move up, they have lost their damn minds. Nobody should trade out of one or two. If not this, then the answer is very simple. You better hope your team goes out and drafts every fat guy you have never heard of in your life that's an offensive lineman. And then you got to find a circle of trust of offensive linemen, fat guys, because realistically, these quarterbacks are getting hurt in part because, frankly, I don't think offensive line play is good enough in front of many of them. They take a bunch of wild hits. They're holding on to the ball too long while they're trying to figure everything out. Like, there aren't enough good left tackles in the NFL, which means quarterbacks are getting hit. Even in a soft quarterback league, we still see quarterbacks being exposed constantly because offensive line play isn't good enough. So, I like, if not this, one or two, if it's not Caleb Williams or Drake, may then i want like as a raiders fan i hope every single round of the draft they're coming up and they're saying the raiders have selected left guard you've never heard of and i'm texting you and i'm saying any good and then they've selected right like i want to go into training camp with 27 tackles i don't give a damn anymore like i think the way you fix the fact that you don't have a young quarterback is you build a team with an offensive line that's a juggernaut and can handle anything and if we had more of those we would have less quarterback injuries and we'd have more faith in some of the teams that are forced to use their backups
I think it's a good reminder as we look at and try and parse through the C.J. Stroud, Houston Texans experiment that's going on right now and working really well. And I say experiment because so many things changed for the Texans this offseason and we didn't have one control variable, right? There's not one thing that we can point to and say, this is how we'll judge which of these factors was most important between rookie quarterback, between new head coach, between getting Jack Easterby out of there last year, between you know all of the changes that you've made in the front office there, the other first round picks that you've made it's going to be hard to pull out which one but Jason you bring up one of the ones that I think is most important is he is well protected at a base level he's got a great play caller he's got a great coach he's got great guys around him he's well protected is CJ Stroud and that's made a world of difference for him there and so you're right as we look at the draft coming up we always have this thing where we're going to look at especially Caleb Williams because of all the narrative energy around him and say well he's supposed to be the guy that's going to be able to lift your franchise out of poverty it's very rarely how it works. Like Patrick Mahomes didn't even have to do that. The only recent example we have a guy truly seeming to will a team beyond where it should have been rosterized is Joe Burrow is because he did it getting sacked 70 times. Now he still had T Higgins and Jamar Chase, which is more than most people are walking into the party with. But he seemed to really in a franchise that traditionally has been looked at as one with a ceiling and a team that did not protect him physically well. He's been the only recent example I can point to of quarterback has really bootstrapped the hell out out of this thing and gotten people over the circumstances otherwise it's if you're not going into a healthy organization more quarterbacks are ruined than are able to save any given franchise every year and that's going to be true of Caleb and Drake one of them is going to get ruined by an incompetent franchise and that's the sad reality now, think of how many times we've seen smart football analysts on Twitter right now that are giving us all the same take on Bryce Young Pass protection is such an issue. Pass pro, like I said, pass pro is such a problem. I see it every single time. He's got to he's got to process faster, but pass protection is a problem. Well, when you've got a young quarterback that's getting absolutely beat up in the pocket, maybe it makes things a little tougher to process quickly because through this whole process, like it's, it's just adding too many different variables to it, Mike. So I think you're a thousand percent right. Like somebody's going to ruin. What what would our analysis of Bryce Young look like today if he actually had a competent offensive line in front of him? We have no idea. No, and we won't for some time here. That's going to be the charge for them of the offseason. The charge for the Browns the rest of this season, though, after the breaking news that, again, Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson will undergo season-ending surgery on a broken bone in his throwing shoulder is how do they maximize what is a Super Bowl-caliber defense with what they've gone? And I'll give you and leave you with this note from SpotTrack. Michael Gennitti, the co-founder and editor of SpotTrack that does the contract stuff. The Browns have now paid Deshaun Watson $90.8 million for 11 games of work. Tough times around Cleveland. Coming up next, we'll get to the CFP rankings from last night. I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know is it's got a really awesome stag logo. What, what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. 
And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Welcome back to Gojo and Willock. I'm Jesse Kofield. So we got the latest iteration of the college football playoff rankings. Georgia overtook Ohio State for the number one spot in the newest rankings that were released Tuesday night. So we saw Georgia do this after back-to-back wins over top 25 opponents. This was really the big movement that we saw here, fellas. But Gojo, earlier in the show when we were talking about this, you said you had something to say about this that didn't have to do with that with that change. Yeah, I think there's going to be a part of this that grows more contention. And spoiler alert for everyone, Jason Fitz and I went over and did a Twitter Spaces reacting to this last night uh, over for Yahoo Sports at his employer, where, again, you can check out Jason doing a lot of great videos, a lot of great content for the folks over there. Jason, you and I both looked at this with Georgia at number one last night and go, yeah, that kind of made sense. You predicted it right before we went on the spaces that based on the backs of Georgia, whose schedule had been Drek, had been Michigan-like for the majority of the beginning half of the season, now finally hit the good parts. And they went out here and they started doing what Georgia does, beating people's asses again. They did it to Kentucky early in the season when they were ranked. They I, I had a close win at home against Missouri, that Missouri team that now is up in the top 10 at number nine, which is important in all this, according to the committee, and then went and mud that old Miss team this weekend you and I both looked at that and I would assume this morning is the same for you I got zero issue with that right now Ohio State had very good wins early in the season but the season changes those wins look different as time goes along Notre Dame's lost a few more games since then Penn State's added another loss to the column to Michigan and so this kind of makes sense at this juncture yeah and I think that's sort of the human element of this we've both gone through the mock committee process we talk about that all the time but just imagine if you had everybody in the room and you were trying to figure this out. Who's number one? Who's number two? I guess my answer to the committee right now, if I was on the committee, would be, why not Georgia? Because remember, it is the opponent based on where they stand today, not where they were when they played. So you're right. The resume favors Georgia. But I would also look at the room and I'd say, guys, like Ohio State, Michigan's going to play each other on Thanksgiving weekend. The, the winner of that game is likely going to be seen in a different light. So for now, why not reward Georgia for what they've done, how well they're playing, uh, tip our cap and say, hey, you deserve to be number one because I think it's a fairly compelling argument. But also, I'm comfortable with it because we don't really need to fight about it. Like, it all will get revisited on Thanksgiving weekend, and whoever wins, Ohio State-Michigan at that point, will have the best resume win of the season, which will justify putting that team at number one. I understand the concerns of some people about what this says about the out-of-conference schedule. Because remember, Georgia had Oklahoma on the out-of-conference schedule this year and took it off once it was announced that Oklahoma was going to go to the SEC. It's why I applauded Texas and Alabama for keeping the game that those two had scheduled out of conference early in the season. That was one of the best. And for Ohio State, you did go to South Bend and you did knock off Notre Dame, who's a very good team. Like, you look statistically all over the place. They're one of the top teams in college football, but they've slipped up in critical places they've lost big games and really right now as you look at it they've lost to the number two team in the country and the number 10 team in the country in Louisville in addition to a Clemson team that's super talented but is underachieved this season so that's still a good win for Ohio State and deserves credit and I can understand the beef there but fits that out of conference thing is what comes up to I think the real discrepancy is and where you and I disagreed last night is at the 4-5 spot now so if the playoff was today Florida State would be in and Washington would be out despite the fact that Washington Washington has a win over the number six team in the country in Oregon right behind them in this. Fitz, you thought Washington should have been in last night. Why? 
Well, the metrics support it. So, like, if, if Ty goes to the batter, right, then I, I hate to be the guy that's commonly, you know, we, if, if the word analytics has become such a, uh, a little trigger for people. But let's look at it. Like, the strength of record, which is one of the things that they factor in, and it's basically what the chance the average top 25 team would have your record or better. So strength of record right now, uh, Washington is number two. Florida State is number three, right? So strength of schedule. Washington's is 43rd, not spectacular, fine, but Florida State's? 55th right so game control the metric which says okay how not only did you win but did you look good doing it basically did you have that game in control washington five florida state number 10 so i'm sitting here looking at these two undefeated teams and saying in every metric that the committee is literally told in writing they are supposed to consider washington is higher and washington also has the far better win over oregon like what does florida state have on their resume that is better than a win over the number six team in the country sneak peek the answer is nothing so i'm going to reward the win here when both teams have had moments by the eye test where they haven't looked like a top four team so since they both had failings i give washington the tiebreaker because all of the analytics the committee is told to consider factor into that well, I think one of the things that Boo Corrigan, who's the chairperson of the committee, the athletic director at NC State, brought up was that Florida State is a more balanced team. When you look in terms of offensive and defensive efficiency, they grossly outpace Washington on the defensive side of the football. Both of them are great offenses. Washington's is one of the best offenses in the country. But what we've seen on the field, and this is the eye test matching the stats, is since the Oregon game, Washington's defense hasn't stopped anybody. I think I heard Alex Kirshner on Split Zone Duo, great college football podcast you guys should all check out, say the other day that they feel like a rich man's USC right now. And while I originally winced at that, it's not far off in that the offense has really had to carry the day with this defense not going out here and shutting most people down really since the Oregon game doing anything of value and so I think you can say because the eye test is a part of this too is hey you got two resumes that are really close Florida State went out and scheduled LSU at the beginning of the season for their out of conference Washington's out of conference was a Michigan State team that's on fire that's sinking into the earth right now and so you don't get a ton of credit for that and Florida State while they both have looked like they had their warts and I would not be comfortable picking either to actually win a playoff game at this point i would still say hey florida state overall has looked like the more balanced team on the field and they've got a resume that i can defend there too more balanced is a very good argument but balanced got you a two-point win against boston college you know well, it's boston college that's always a tough game it's two-point win against boston college right like i don't care about that a seven yeah, it's point not win a, it's not a tough game by the way boston yeah. college they should have beat handily and didn't you're absolutely right clemson like you said Talented, underperforming. Seven-point win that was an ugly game that came all the way down to the wire. Even last that week. That they should have lost on a field goal. If Clemson's kicker just makes the kick, the game's over. 100%. Even last week against Miami, where I said, you know what, this is going to be it. It's a bit of a – it's not a bit of. It's a rivalry matchup. It's an opportunity to come up and make that big rivalry statement against Miami. Eh. 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 Right. So like I give, I get the balance conversation, but I think even when you look at just those three games where – Florida State hasn't necessarily looked like a dominant football team. I would credit Washington and their win over Utah far far more than any of it. Utah is such a better football team than any of the teams I just mentioned, and we just watched them find a way to win that football game. So, like, I understand that, you know, the defense has been a problem. I'm not taking anything away from that, but, my God, I trust their quarterback far more, honestly, and, and the, the lack of balance that they have has not prevented them from winning the games they need to win. Florida State is lucky at this point to be defeated. They're undefeated. They're not just, they're not just good. They're, they're lucky. 
yeah, uh, health has also been uh, you know up and down for Florida State. They've had injuries along their offensive line for a lot of the season. Johnny Wilson, one of their great wide receivers, has been out of the lineup a few times, banged up with some injuries. So there are things you can point to there. The bottom line is, Fitz, you talk about how the football is going to bail a lot of this out. This week is that case. Washington goes on the road to play number 11 ranked Oregon State who if you're looking for the gatekeeper for all the scenarios that you want and there's scenarios out there about hey could we actually after all of this get two SEC teams two Big Ten teams into this we heard from ESPN stats and info that there are seven 10 and 0 teams right now that's the most the sport has seen in this point in the season since the BCS began in 1998 we've got more people with access to the dance than ever and I would argue Oregon State in a year where they just got the court ruling where them and Washington State rule the Pac-12 right now. They are officially the Pac-2. They play Washington and Oregon in the next two weeks. They control the future of this because if Washington goes out and beats this actually very good Oregon State team, the Pac-12 has been a better conference than the ACC this entirety of the year. Out-of-conference scheduling matters, but then at some point you're a victim of what happens in your league. And if Washington gets this win, they're going to jump Florida State in the next round of rankings. I feel very comfortable saying that. I I do too. What's going to be curious is when Washington wins out and Oregon wins out and our Pac-12 championship game gives us the rematch of the one loss that Oregon has and Oregon goes in and absolutely just rails Washington by 20. Now we're having a much different conversation too because a one-loss Oregon team is going to be sitting there saying, got the best resume. It's 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 about to get interesting. and they would erase their one loss from the regular season, which we've seen in the past can matter, while Florida State would be saying, all right, if we keep this on track, we would be facing a now top 10 Louisville Cardinal team in the ACC championship game, should that now come for something, and we've got no blemish on our record. It's setting up for a lot of really compelling conversations down the stretch here that we are all very excited to have. But coming up next... Myself and my father got a chance to have a very compelling conversation with a guy that doesn't have to deal with any of this nonsense anymore. Coming up next, let's head back to Houston for the good vibes. Will Anderson Jr., star defensive end, number three overall pick for the Texans, stopped by to tell us all the differences between D'Amico Ryans and Nick Saban next. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boothill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to Gojo and Bullock. The Texans are seeing an immediate return on investment on their 2023 draft picks. Five of their seven picks from their most recent draft class are playing in more than 60% of teams' offensive or defensive snaps. 
pretty, pretty good. One of those guys is defensive end Will Anderson Jr. And he got a chance to catch up with our dudes, Gojo and Senior, to talk about the youth movement that's going on with the team and how they're already finding success and making an immediate impact in the NFL. All right, very excited to be joined by Will Anderson Jr. here. He is here on behalf of Old Spice and Big Brothers Big Sisters. They got a really cool program that Will uh, is going to tell us about that you guys can get involved with here. But, Will, I'm curious, as a rookie, you're in the league right now. You come in as one of the young guys on a team that's making a ton of noise in the Houston Texans. Do you have someone on the team that's like your big brother, a vet that's been your go-to early on in your career here? Yeah, I would say Sheldon Rankins. Uh, that's been my guy, like, He's been phenomenal, man. He's taking me under his wing, showing me the ropes. You know, he was once in my shoes, first-round draft pick, high choice, everything like that. So he knows what comes with it. So he's been keeping me grounded, making sure that my mental's good, making sure that I'm good as a person, everything like that. But also showing me ropes on the field and everything like that, how to watch film, how to watch tape, uh, what to look for and things like that. And then just hanging out outside the field. He's been a really great guy that I really, you know, have grown close to and really look up to a lot. Now, you have a, a coach in D'Amico Ryans who at this point is is so high favored for coach of the year. Now, he was there at Bama before Nick Saban, but still at Bama. Do you guys you guys swap any Bama stories at all? No, not yet. Not yet. But like we're, we're you know, we're very familiar with the uh, B-side fight. That's like our little like our little thing that we say at Alabama. So like he knows about it. And, you know, it's a couple of Bama guys here that we know about, too. So it's been great. What is the biggest adjustment? Because you mentioned some of the things that Sheldon helped you out with. You come from a program in Alabama that's been the standard in college football for a long time right now. But what for you was still the adjustment you had to make coming to this next level in the NFL, even from that? Um, I would really say just like detail, like really like detail, 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 because like in college, like you get a ton of reps in college at practice. You get a ton of reps. But here in the league, you'll probably only get like four reps a rep. Like, and probably not even that, probably three. I know as the year goes on, like they want to keep you healthy and everything like that. So like those reps that you take, you have to be very precise and have great precision and very good, like detail, like bright hands, feet, hands, everything like that, eyes, everything. So like I think that's just been one of the biggest things. Like every rep you take has to be a detailed full like full out rep, like a game rep, because you don't get a lot of opportunities to do it. What's making this team and and particularly your side of the ball, this defense play so well right now where you're really you're really surprising a lot of the analysts out there just how well you guys are going doing. Yeah, I think it's a couple of things. I think it's one the swag that Coach D'Amico has brought with them. Um on the defensive side of the ball. And I think it's just the players like buying in and just being hungry for it and like starving for the opportunity to go out there and dominate and uh, like be relentless and have effort, have physicality and everything like that. Like we like just love to get another opportunity to go out there and play, you know, not only for ourselves, but for our fans, Coach Ryan's, you know, everybody in the building, everything like that. So like, I think that's what it is. Like everybody on the defensive side of the ball is very hungry. We just want more and more and more. So it's just like, man, like, Man, we keep doing this. We can really like we have the opportunity to be a really special defense, but it just comes with everybody buying in, being consistent, and then how we practice it. I think it goes back to that. Like everybody's always locked in, bought into what we have to do and execution. You mentioned the swagger. Take us into a D'Amico Ryan's week of practice, a meeting, because we see him post game with you guys, and he's giving you guys the victory Monday off. And when he addresses the team, it seems like he's still almost a for a player addressing the team. He does it in a way that seems like his comfort level when he was a leader in the locker rooms. 
What's he been like around the day-to-day for you, especially in comparison to a guy like Nick Saban, who he seems night and day different from? Yeah, no, he's like Coach Rice is the same guy. Like they come in the meeting room and he has that, you know, that feel to him. Like he's still a player. So like it's easy for us to grasp like what he's saying or like what he's feeling and everything that he comes in with juice, comes in with high energy. Like we practice in the morning. So like, of course, like, you know, everybody be trying to, you know, get up and everything. But he just comes in like, hey, let's go. Like we get the opportunity. Like and he's all about us. Like he doesn't really worry about no other team and nothing like that. Like, at the end of the day, it's all about the men in this room and what we're going to go out there and do on the field. And I think that's why I respect him and everybody else respects him so much because he actually cares about us a lot. He loves his team. And, you know, it just makes us want to just go out there and play for him even more. You know, and while Nick Saban's way worked, y- y'all have rings to prove it. I mean, there's nothing like showing rings to show that his system works. But is there a lot less yelling in Houston than there, than there was in Alabama <laughs> with Nick? <laughs> yes, a lot less. <laughs> That's a lot a, less, not as many, you know, uh, but too much and stuff like that because it was quick. Like, you could be warming up and you could get yelled at in warm bus and practice didn't even start yet. Do you remember the first time Nick Saban cussed you out? I don't I ain't gonna lie. Like, in college, like, he probably, he never really cussed me out. He probably said, like, two things to me, like, like as I was there, like, I'm in my freshman year. I think I had a bunch of the coverage or something like that. And he was like, God damn it, 31. And he was just going. And he stopped. And I think that's, I think after that, I think that was the last time I was like, okay, you're never doing that again. Like, that's never happened again. And since then, he's never like had to cuss me out or anything like that again. Will, speaking of another guy who comes from a high profile program, right there, one and two with you in the draft, you and CJ uh, are going to be linked together forever because you went one right after the other. Has anything about CJ surprised you this year? He's burst onto the scene in a way that so many people didn't expect. As you got to meet him and know him, were you shocked by anything about this? No, I wasn't shocked at all. Like, I've been knowing CJ um, since like high school a little bit, like towards the end of our high school careers because we both did the All American. Um, bowl together and then this it was so strange like this offseason we was together like a little bit majority of the time like towards like coming up into the drive like we were together a lot but uh then i got to see him play a couple of times um of course when they played georgia national championship that was just one of his best games to me in college i thought he had a really great game but like it's no shocker like um being in practice with him seeing the type of guy he is seeing how much he loves the game of football seeing how composed he was in practice when things got hard I already knew, like, this is going to be ease for him. Like, he has so much poise and calmness to him and knows that his preparation is everything to him and know that God's got him. I think that's why he's gotten so far, and I think that's why he, can, he will continue to get so far because of the traits that he has. You told us the differences in practices with less reps but more focus on hands and feet. How about on the field? Tell us the difference of playing in the offensive tack- against tackles in the NFL as compared to college and the differences there. Yeah, um, it's, it's it's just everything has to, like your moves and everything has to be quicker. That's like the biggest thing. So like the quarterback gets the ball out really fast. So, like you don't have time to like dance around with the tackles or anything like that. And I can say like most of the tackles in the NFL are like way more like, you know, they're more vets, you know what I'm saying? So like they're a little bit more like savvy and finesseful now like in college. Like you didn't see a lot of finesse tackles. Like you see a lot of like, oh, I want to like, God, God, God. <laughs> I care. Like, you're going to see a lot of, like, hand play, like, may give you hands, may not. Very finesse like, stuff like that. So, like, 
it's just all about who you're going against and everything like that and really knowing past sets, um, how to defeat certain sets and everything like that and how to play different sets. But, like, I can most definitely say that's been the biggest thing. Like, tackles are just more finesseful, um, more detailed in their craft and more technical when it comes to past sets. Uh, well, it, it's been incredible watching your adjustment to that already. I know only two sacks on the year, but that hardly tells the tale of everything you've been able to do, your defense and how you guys pressure and get after the quarterback. So uh, it's been incredible to watch. Will also incredible. I know you're here on behalf of Old Spice and Big Brothers, Big Sisters. They've got an Old Spice <laughs> School of Swagger program that you're involved with. What can you tell us about this? Yeah, it's, um, you know, they have more than 30,000 students on the Big Brother and Big Sister wait list um, for the mentorship. And it's been amazing. Like um, Old Spice and Walmart is doing a great job with the mentorship. And I think that's what it all comes back to, just giving back to the community, helping kids out. I know for me, um, I had a mentor in my in my high school, Coach Fed and Coach Rogers, my high school head coach and defensive coordinator. They helped me out a lot. So just having this opportunity to, you know, help out. And I think that's why like, I really love partnering with Old Spice they do a really good job of giving back to the community and man like um it, it's it's been something special and tonight is going to be a very special event to go talk to the kids it's good it's awesome. really nice to you get that you get that platform now right in the nfl to to really kind of expand upon some of these things you like to do most definitely yes sir it's very inspiring, Will, to see that that's something that matters to you. For other people that feel so inclined, you can learn more and sign up to be a mentor today at walmart.com slash school of swagger. Will, thanks for the time, man. Best of luck the rest of this season. We're excited to watch you guys keep doing your thing. Thank you. I appreciate you guys for having me. All right, welcome back to Gojo and Golick. Mike Golick Jr., Jesse Cofield hanging out here as we've had everyone else has left us. It's the final countdown here for the two of us. You know what, Jesse? Finally, we get a chance to just do this ourselves. To remain. It's what we've been waiting for this moment. I'll show. The Thunderdome right here. Our thanks to everybody else who came before. Uh, we're going to get you to this, that, and the third. Three quick stories to send you off into the rest of your day. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review. Leave us a five-star rating. Check us out Monday through Friday live from 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern on the DraftKings YouTube channel, DraftKingsNetwork.com, Samsung TV+, Plus, Roku, a host of other delightful streaming platforms here. And if you missed any of the show, like our great guests, we talked about Charlotte Wilder, from Oddball with Amin El Hassan joined us in the first hour. My father, Mike Golick Sr., is not a guest. He was here, but only in the first hour. And then Jason Fitz, Yahoo Sports, college football and NFL analyst, as well as Fox Sports radio host, joined us here in the second hour to talk about Deshaun Watson, the news that he will be shut down for the season after having shoulder surgery, and the college football playoff rankings. You missed any of that. Get it wherever you get your podcast, or right here on YouTube immediately after the show is done airing at 10 o'clock Eastern. Jesse... Let's get to this, that, and the third, though, and start it off with one of the more... Like, I am not a prude, as everyone knows, when it comes to weird food combinations. This one made my spine absolutely shiver. Yeah, this felt like an assault to the eyes. Um, we saw this on Jameson Williams, uh, wide receiver for the Lions. His Instagram story, he's letting us in here on, like, a little hack, I guess, is what some might call this. So he likes to combine his cheeseburger at McDonald's with his Oreo McFlurry. So he put the Oreo McFlurry onto the bun, as you can see here, not even onto the bun, he put it directly onto the meat. The meat part of the burger, he slaps that top on and takes a bite of it and is trying to tell us that this is good. 
I have a lot. So when I first saw this picture, I didn't know it was the McFlurry. I was like, is that like a bunch of blue cheese? Is that a bunch of blue cheese dressing or or, or maybe even like mayonnaise? Like some mayonnaise-based condiment, I thought, that would be in the savory camp on here. And I, I get like, I'm not even one of the people, Jesse, I don't know about you. I don't even like dipping French fries in milkshakes necessarily. No. That's just never been my thing. I know some people like that combination. This is depraved. It's beyond the Like, pale. we need to suspend Jamison Williams for this, not the other stuff. Yeah. He needs to go back on suspension for this with pay. I don't want him to lose any salary there, but he's got to know that this is wrong. I mean, I just, first of all, I want to know how you find out that you enjoy the taste of that. Do you know what I mean? Because is it that you took a bite and then you took a sip and you were like, oh, this is pretty good. Like, is that how that started? Because the idea that you would just like slap some dairy product, just just slap a little, the noise it makes like a, onto your burger, Ugh. it makes me sick. I understand it's all going to the same place. Like that idea that, yeah, these two tastes and two bites might be sure. in your mouth at the same time. You're making them both objectively worse. Yes. Like the heat of the burger is actively melting the ice cream. I'm not one of those people, Jesse, are you one of the people that likes the soupy stuff at the bottom of ice cream when it's melted? I've never understood that. No. I like my ice cream more solid. I like yeah. it to be ice cream. That's just me. Call me old fashioned. So this feels like you're making both ingredients actively worse. Yeah, very gross uh, to each their own. But like you said, we should probably suspend him for this. Probably. So we're going to get to the, uh, on the whole of the league office for that. But uh, you know what? I, I generally don't like to kink shame, but this is one where I have to kind of like clutch my pearls and go, there are children watching. <laughs> and they might try this. And okay. that's a dangerous thing. Well, speaking of kink shaming, I don't know. Andre 3000 is releasing ah! his first album in 17 years. And get this. It is a full flute album. So it, it's... There's nothing, it's not a rap record, okay? So there's no bars, no beats, nothing. He doesn't sing either. He just plays flute. And I'm not just talking, you know, you might be thinking one type of flute. We've seen Lizzo, you know, go out and go ham on her flute. But we're talking contrabass flute, Mayan flutes, bamboo flutes. There's like other digital wind instruments, apparently. Um, so again, not to kink shame, but like, are you going to listen to this entirely flute-based album with no singing? Probably. Like, you're curious, right? I know I'm curious. I'm not that curious. It's going to be some flutes. I mean, good for them. It just... You know what? This is a testament to how much capital and how much trust Andre 3000 has built up in so many of us. Because again, first time in 17 years we're getting music from him. New Blue Sun is the album. November 17th is when it comes out. And he's been kind of an enigma to so many people. Like after so much of the success of Outkast, he's really been a guy that's only shown up in features every now and then. He's popped up at parks in different locations, like spotting Andre 3000 on social media randomly with his flute out in places in the world has kind of been the only sport that we've had with this guy consistently. And so I just want to see what he's been working on. Like if it mattered enough to him, because it sounds like he met up, uh, you know, he, he ran into a group of people that were in this world and they started recording without the intention of putting out an album. And apparently this man who's got a musical ear that's on par with anybody we've ever seen in hip hop. He heard enough of this and the people he trusted heard enough of this where they decided they wanted to share it. That piques my interest a little bit. I trust this guy. I do. 
I just don't care how hard the flutes are going. There's no singing. There's no, like, I can't. It's not for me. I feel like I'm in the majority here. I'm not going to lie. One of the... There's eight songs on this album, the title of one of the songs, which should give you an insight into exactly how unhinged this is going to be, is, I swear, I really wanted to make a rap album, but this is literally the way the wind blew me this time. That is the title of one of the eight tracks. And this is going to be, I almost feel like he's trolling us. Like, it's like a huge joke. He's releasing this album to see if we're just going to buy it. It definitely feels like a social experiment. Yes. I, I will not begrudge you that, but I'm I, I'm the mark. I am absolutely going to take part in this. And my 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 favorite, the funniest possible outcome for this is what if it slaps? Like what what if it's phenomenal? And now you've got a whole nation full of people that are just craving flute albums. I mean, you know what? If maybe this is what heals America, this flute album's gonna come out. We're all gonna come together over the flutes, the beautiful sound. We're gonna rediscover, you know, our roots of like classical instruments being played. I don't know. Maybe you're right, but I think more likely than not, it's not gonna be that great. And it's gonna be like, okay, cool. You're so unique. You're an artist, man. Yeah, like flutes. I, I was gonna say. This is really going to be a test of our, our our ability to consume the flute. We had Lizzo in the James Madison Crystal Flute Saga. Like you said, she's been carrying the banner for flautists in the public light. And now we're going to see if Andre 3000 can bring that thing home. Jesse, let's get to the third here with another interesting trend from a pro athlete. Yeah, absolutely horrifying. Um, we found out that Patrick Mahomes has worn the same pair of underwear on Sundays every game of his NFL career. Okay, so there were rumors about this and then he confirmed them. um, He confirmed them with Eli Peyton Manning and and was like, yeah, he was like, my wife, Brittany, got them for me. Um, I threw them on that first season. We had a pretty good season that season. So then it became a superstition thing. So it's just on Sundays that he wears this pair of underwear. But that underwear, I mean, Jesus Christ, it has seen some miles. (laughs) Like, I'm just, I'm just saying, aside from the fact that this guy has made an obscene amount of money and can obviously afford all the underwear in the world, I get that it's a superstition thing, but the swamp ass that that underwear has been bathing in and like the juices and the, I know he's washing it, but it's, and it's only one, Uh, one day a week, but like you, is it getting put into like a hermetically sealed container? I don't, what's going on with it? He did say, I mean, if we're on a hot streak, I can't wash them, you know? So I, that would be my biggest question. It sounds like the underwear he's just wearing to the game, but I get this. I mean, I've got underwear in my closet over here that I've had since at least 2013. Yeah, but you're like, not that's playing an NFL game in those. Uh, no, but me living life every day is about the equivalent of the level of swamp ass for most NFL players. So I can't say it's too far off. I also used to wear an undershirt when I played football that was stained orange with my own vomit and spit by the end of the season each and every day. It got washed, but it couldn't wash that out of it. So sports will make you do some pretty nasty stuff. Uh, and, you know, to each their own on that, unless you're Jameson Williams and the McFlurry Burger. Uh, if you didn't lose your lunch listening to this podcast download subscribe rate review it leave us a five-star rating tell a friend about it thanks so much have a great day we'll talk to you guys tomorrow